Good morning. Uh, my name is Thomas Hudson. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, I'm going to be preaching for us this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we're so grateful that you're here uh, to both worship with us and study God's word this morning as I preach his word. And as we start this celebration of Advent this morning. Um, and so uh, we're so grateful uh, we have uh received a king who has come to live for us and die for us and be raised from the dead for us. Amen? Amen. One worthy of our praise and our offering. So we're starting this Advent celebration and I know that many of us come from various faith traditions. Uh, Maybe uh, you've celebrated Advent every year even before you were born in your mother's womb. You were at Advent service. And maybe you're here for this morning you're going, I've never heard of an Advent service. I want to help us as we think about what this special season is that we're going into. Uh, And I would venture to say, uh, like me, I mean, I was like uh, a couple of weeks ago realizing that, wow, the first Sunday of Advent is four days after Thanksgiving. It it usually doesn't happen that way. And so it took me a little bit by surprise. That's what grace does, isn't it? It takes us by surprise. And so this morning, uh, we come here and to begin this celebration of Advent, not prepared in some way, not ready for what all this means. But praise be unto God for accepting us even when we're not ready, coming to us when we are not prepared for it. So Advent is all about God coming. We look back to the coming of Christ at the first Christmas. Yes, it likely is not December the 25th. Okay? But our Savior came and was born in humble means. By doing so, we we are reminded of all that God did to prepare the time when Christ would come and enter into history. And if you just reflect just on world history at the time of the coming of Jesus, it's amazing to think of all of what God did to orchestrate world history to bring Jesus at the perfect time. We're looking at our current season and preparing our hearts to celebrate the day of remembrance that's coming upon us yet again. Yes, Christmas is coming whether you're ready for it or not, friend. (laughs) And it's an opportunity to be sure that uh, the celebration of the holiday doesn't come and go without us taking some time to slow down and enter into the meaning of it. Not, get caught in, not getting caught up in the hubbub of present buying and Black Fridays and Cyber Mondays and Giving Tuesdays and whatever else might come our way in the coming weeks. Third, we take time to look at our own story Remembering the fact for those of us who are Christians that Christ has come to us. Christ has come to me and you if you claim to be His. It's a time to celebrate not only God's interest into history, but His entrance by the power of the Spirit into our hearts and into our lives. And fourth or lastly, we look forward to the future coming of our great King Jesus. He has promised that He will return. He will come again. There is a day that is coming that He will put every ruler under His feet. Every heart will bow to Him. Every tongue will confess that He is indeed Lord and King. The universe will worship and celebrate who He is and what He has done. So for us, Advent and Christmas is simply a glimpse of that glorious day when we should celebrate it with all joy and feel and know that God has loved us and has conquered everything. So I, I invite you into Advent, into the Advent season with us. 
And so as we go throughout this Advent celebration, we're going to be preaching on various topics, traditional topics throughout this season of the year. Uh, Today, as you see on your notes page, we're going to be uh, considering what does it mean for Jesus Christ to be Emmanuel, God with us, as we just sang a few moments ago. Jesus has come from heaven and come to dwell on earth with us. What does that mean? Also, we talked earlier as well in the offering of God gifting us a Savior. And so next week, Jared is going to preach for us that Jesus is our gift. And then Orion in a couple of weeks, one of our other elders is going to preach for us about the Word made flesh. As Carrie read for us from John chapter 1, verse 14, Christ puts on flesh and comes to dwell with us. And then, our last Sunday of Advent, we're going to look at what does it mean for Jesus to be the Lamb of God. The the slain Lamb of God that as we read in the end of the story, that angels and the elders and all of creation will fall prostrate before Him and say, worthy is the Lamb of God. Who is this Lamb? Worthy of all the world's worship. So as we get started this morning, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. And before I read the text this morning, I want to pray and ask God to aid us in the hearing and preaching of His Word. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Oh God, thank You for this day. Thank You for this season. God, thank You for Your Holy Word written down and transmitted to us by faithful men carried along by the Spirit, that we might read it. And not just read good literature. Not just read amazing stories about how You've worked in human history. But we might read Your Word and encounter You. God, as we read and as we think, And as we worship this morning through sitting under the preaching of Your Word, God, I pray that You would transform our hearts. Work in us. God, make our hearts fertile soil upon which Your Word would fall and take root and bear fruit in our lives. God, we need Your help. We can't do that on our own. We need the work of the Spirit in our lives to make that possible. And God, for anyone in here this morning who doesn't trust You and doesn't believe Your Word, God, I pray that You would help them. You would come to their aid. And God, through through looking at Your Word and hearing what You, God, by Your grace and mercy have given me to say to Your people this morning, God, that You would transform lives by the preaching of the good news of Jesus. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You for sending Him to us. Now let us see what does it mean for you through your Son to dwell with us. Oh, praise you, Emmanuel. Amen. So if you have, on, you have your Bible, there open to Matthew 1.18. I'm going to read from 1.18 down to verse 25 for us this morning. So, Matthew writes... <clears throat> Now the birth of Jesus took place this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But, As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." for He will save His people from their sins. 
And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel. And Matthew helps us with the Hebrew here, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus. So Matthew here in the first chapter reveals to his audience and those hearing the words of God today that God was indeed fulfilling the long ago promise to come and dwell with His people. And whether you believe it or not, whether you can sense it or not, God is with us. He is present. And the main aim that I want to make this morning as you are taking notes or following along in the notes page there is I want our hearts to be encouraged. I want us to be encouraged that God is indeed with us. And I want us to know that our lives should actually look different because God is present. So we're going to take a look back here at the prophet or the prophecy in a minute in the Old Testament to see where does this prophecy, where does this promise arise from? And then we're going to see two areas where this promise comes to bear for God's people. If you're not a Christian here, this promise can actually be true for you today. If you trust in God, believing that He is indeed with us, forsaking your sin to follow hard after Him. So let us consider where this promise comes from and the significance that it has on those who are God's people. Uh, the first place we're going to look is there in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. Uh, and then we're going to go backwards. Because where this shows up, where this promise first shows up is actually in the dreadful consequences of Israel's sinfulness. This promise shows up in the consequences of sinfulness or sin's consequences. So just a few moments ago, I read and we lit the, pro the prophet's candle and I read from Matthew 22 where it says, the angel speaking to Joseph in a dream says, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Does anybody know what prophet spoke those words first? You can look in your footnote on your Bible there. Cheat a little bit. God gives us the answers. Isaiah. Isaiah. This is a direct quotation from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The first place that this promise breaks into human history is in chapter 7 to 10 of the book of Isaiah. And it's amazing to just contemplate what was going on in the history of Israel at this time. Okay? If you go back with me to Isaiah, so if you go about the middle of your Bible, it's Psalms, and you go two books to the right. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Isaiah. Flip with me to Isaiah chapter 14, chapter 7. In chapter 7 through 10, what's going on in the Israel or Israel's history right now is God is speaking to the prophet Isaiah to go to the king of Israel and give him a warning to say, if you do not stop what you are doing, I am going to judge you and the nation of Israel, and I'm going to send you back into exile. Now, the problem was, well, this was not the first time that Israel and her kings had heard this warning. God had come to Israel multiple times through, through multiple kings and said, look, 
You must stop worshiping idols. You must stop treasuring the things of this world. And you must worship Me as your one true God who has brought you out of the land of Egypt. Who brought you out of exile and slavery into the promised land. I am your God. But what does Israel do? Over and over and over again, king after king after king leads Israel into idol worship. Into being like the nations around her and not being a distinct, set-apart nation. Now, Israel does have cycles. There are times when they do get it right. When they are the people of God, they are bearing His image well. They're obeying His commands. Living by the laws. Living as though God is their one true God. But so often and so quickly, they fall back into their demise of worshiping idols. And what King Ahaz is actually doing here as Isaiah goes to him to warn him is he is actually courting and playing with whether he should trust God and God's promises or whether he should trust the might of the powers of the armies of the earth to be his salvation. And Ahaz really wants it both ways. But God says, you can't have it both ways, Ahaz. You either have to renounce all trust for any salvation in the powers of this world and only trust Me, or if you trust in the ways of man and the powers of this world, it will be the demise of Israel. And God warns Ahaz also. He tells Ahaz, if you choose to go the ways of the world, there really is no turning back. Because your heart will be so hardened against Me that you won't even ask Me for help in your darkest days as Israel is conquested by one of the greatest armies the world has ever seen. And guess what Ahaz does? He cashes in all his chips and says, I'm going to trust in the power of the Syrian army. I'm going to trust in the power of the Sumerian army. And we as Israel are going to defeat the Assyrians. And Israel is obliterated. God even says, as Israel begins to suffer the consequences, that this is how bad it's going to be when we trust in the ways of the world, when Israel trusts in the ways of the world, he warns them in Isaiah chapter 7 after making this amazing promise that God will be with them through the the birth of a son to the king that will indeed end up being the, the true king who can bear the weight of all the world's responsibilities. He says, if you don't trust in My promises, Isaiah 7, 19, and they that is Assyria, will come and settle in the steep ravines and on the cliffs of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that day, the Lord will shave with a razor the hired hand, the hired beyond the river. And with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair and the feet, and it will be swept away the beard also. The warning here is that the size of the Aryan army that's coming to destroy Israel as she, by following her king, is led into destruction, will lead the people into captivity. And the Assyrian army will cover the entire land of Israel. That's how big Assyria's army is going to be. They will defeat, shame, and judge Israel. And it will be humiliating to her. How humiliating will it be? The men and the prophets and the leaders whom God has said they should not cut their hair, they should not shave their beards, they will be shaved naked and paraded before the people of God, led into captivity in Israel, uh, in, in Assyria. Because King Ahaz And the people feared man more than they feared God. And they wouldn't even ask God for help. 
So God does what He had warned them to do, or warned them that He would do. He would judge them and they would suffer the consequences of their sinfulness. But God promises in 7.14 before this horrid event of Assyria coming and taking over Israel that He would not forsake them. Even in the midst of their own sinfulness, even in the midst of the judgment that He would pour out on them, He says, I will be with you. What a promise to a fickle people. God will remain present with them. He will be their God and He will continue to fulfill His promises through their nation. Why does He do this? Because He's a God who keeps His promises. He had made a promise to Abraham that all the blessings for all the nations would flow through Israel. So although you're going to be a foolish people, Israel, I will be with you. And I will make sure that my promises come true. God will indeed be with them. And note not only that the promise of God that He will have His presence remaining with Him, but God will, as Matthew 1 and Isaiah 7 and even in Isaiah 9, chapter 6, or in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, Jesus or God will send a Son to be the everlasting ruler and Savior of the world. God truly is, as Scripture reveals, the omnipresent, ever-present God of blessing to those who hear His words and trust His promises. And not only is God ever-present with Israel, He is present with us today as His people. But, but we struggle with God's presence, don't we? What does it actually mean for God to be with us? I mean, I think about that for a minute and I think like, I know that this flesh in the presence of the most holy being in all the universe would vaporize in an instant. But God has chosen to dwell with me, with us as His people. The reason we struggle with this is because we find ourselves acting more like Ahaz than what God has called us to do. Don't we? We should be the people who are completely assured of God is with us and that His words are a true foundation and sure foundation for our lives. That His promises can indeed be trusted. But we, like Ahaz, attempt to court both the world's wisdom and God's Word trying to get everything we want under the sun, don't we? We grapple and grab for things that are really not true blessings. There are various things that we believe in this world that will fulfill us. We think maybe if we travel the world, our hearts will be content. If we, if we learn all we can and we're ready for every circumstance, then our hearts will be content. Or if we simply just enjoy life to the fullest, we'll be happy and blessings will come. Or we just want, to give, uh, want God to give us one more thing. God, just, just bless me with one more thing. And it'll fill the void in our heart and our soul but friends, we don't need one more thing. We don't need more money that our jobs and our positions could offer us. For those of us who are married, we actually don't need our spouse to fully complete us. Although God has gifted us with a helpmeet. We don't need the blessings of good children as, as a father. Like I don't deserve that. And I don't need that to complete me and make me who I am before God. And we don't need our retirements to be secure, friends. We don't need our nest eggs to be too, too heavy to carry. 
See, when we prize these things over and above our God and His presence in our lives, we are idolizing the blessing over the One who blesses. Are you doing that today, friend? Are you idolizing the blessing over the blesser? We find ourselves wanting more, never quite satisfied with the gift that, or outcome or simply the grace that flows to us like a constant stream in our life. I pray that last week as you were in a time of thanksgiving, that God just overwhelmed your soul with how gracious and kind and generous He really is to us. Undeserving as we are. But we so easily are fooled by the lie that blessings are what satisfies our souls, aren't we? It's the blessings of this world, right? It's the blessings of the hand of God that satisfy us. But when we believe this, we sin and bring death into our lives, pleasing the enemy. You see what Matthew knew? And what Isaiah knew and what God knows is that we have a far greater enemy who desires for us to rebel and longs for our destruction. He longs for us to live in the lie that we can be blessed by something other than the presence of God. He wants us to, our enemy wants us to to wallow in the horrible consequences of our sin and death that corrupts even the best of blessings. But brothers and sisters and friends, we do not need something to save us and to fulfill us from our enemy. No, we need someone who will lead us, counsel us, redeem us, and care for us and give us soul-satisfying peace. You long for peace in your life today? Peace that is un, you can't imagine or you can't completely understand? And what does God do? He sends His Son to become like us in every respect. The promised One. Emmanuel, God with us. Born Christ of Nazareth. He promises us that He will be with us and will come to us as a child born and a son given. He will be no ordinary boy because what the promise also tells us is that every government will be set upon His shoulders. He will be able to bear that weight and He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. God came to dwell with us And when He came, He was born to Mary and Joseph. Emmanuel, God with us. And when Jesus came into the world, He was truly and literally God with us. We sang earlier the word incarnate deity. That means that the second person of the Trinity came and put on flesh to dwell among us. To know your pain and your suffering. To know your joys. To experience the same emotions. To be the one who could walk with you in sorrow and loss. But then be the one who could go and bear your shame on the cross. And be your Savior. And because God is with us, we know that we are never separated from His love as Romans 8 tells us. God's presence then assures us that we can indeed accomplish His will for our lives. We can live in accordance with God because He is with us. Carrying us, moving us, encouraging us, equipping us along the way. And God's presence in our lives then overcomes all of our fear and our worry, and our dissatisfaction. The reality of all of this is that Israel experienced the consequences of their idolatry and were led back into a captivity. And we also experience the consequences of our own sin, of worry, of fear, of dissatisfaction, don't we? 
But we must realize, friends, God is with us. And there is a day that is coming where He will dwell with us for all eternity and we with Him for all eternity. There will not only be the consequences of our sins, but there will be an eternal judgment where those who have not trusted in the promises of God, not believe that God is present, not believe that God has sent His Son Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of the world, that they will face an eternal separation from God's presence. They will not experience what it means to be blessed in the presence of God, our Father in heaven. And in this separation, those of you who do not trust will face the full measure of God's punishment if we do not, or if you do not turn to Him and call upon Him for forgiveness and salvation and restoration. You see, what's so amazing about our Savior and the coming of Jesus Christ to be with us is that He doesn't live in the consequences of a broken world just to simply escape it. No, He comes to suffer on our behalf and take the judgment that we so deserve for sin and rebellion. He takes it upon His own shoulders and drinks the cup so that those who would trust in Him as their Lord and Savior would never experience what it means to be separated and cut off from God. He came to live for us and die for us and be resurrected from the dead for us so that He could restore us back to the presence of God. Back to the One who has created us and made us. He came born to His own people and was despised and crucified. And today, if you've not trusted in the promise of God's presence through His Son, Jesus Christ, you can today turn from your sin and rebellion against God. And you can trust in Him. Christ with us who saves to the uttermost. I would encourage you to talk with me or a Christian friend after the service if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today can be the day of salvation for you. You can solely trust in Christ as the ever-present, wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, some of you may be asking, is it really worth it to live like this? To live in the presence of God? Is it worth it to follow Him all of my days? To, to bend my life around what He says and how He says I should live? I would encourage you to consider the words of Isaiah and Matthew and God because He will give us His Son called Emmanuel, God with us. And the increase of His government and the peace that will be there will have no end. And on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and hold it, uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time and forevermore. It's worth everything to trust in the presence of God with us in Christ. He is just what we need because only He can provide the abundance of protection and defense necessary for our salvation. Therefore, we should desire no one or nothing beside Him. What is your heart longing for this Christmas season? What are you hoping that you get out of this time of Advent and intense focus? Do you want something this world can provide? Or do you want more of God? He is here. He is present. He is ready for you. So God showed up in the midst of Israel's consequences and made a, an amazing promise to Israel. I will be with you even though you will be carried off to captivity. It will be as though it has never been before in the nation of Israel. You will feel cut off. You won't sense My presence, but I will be right there with you. Walking with you. There in the consequences of Israel's sin. There in the consequences with us. He's here with us. 
but He's also with us in difficult circumstances. That's the second point this morning. Difficult circumstances. Look with, back with me. So go from Isaiah chapter 7 back to Matthew. So we've seen the prophet make his promise. But Matthew chapter 1, look at the circumstances. Now the birth of Jesus took place this way. When Mary, or when his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame and resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered, or as he thought about this, as he meditated on what this meant, an angel of the Lord prepared or came to him in a dream. Here we find Joseph in some pretty difficult circumstances, don't we? He's wrecked. He doesn't know what to do. He's a decent man of character, not knowing what the Lord would lead him to do. What is the right thing to do in this situation? So he does the only thing he, does, he can do. He relies upon the law of God and the right thing to do in society. Because the woman who is to be his wife is now pregnant, but he knows it's not his child. So, he decides, I should divorce her. I won't put her to shame. I'll simply do it. I'll take care of it. Be a legal matter. Be over. Done with. We'll live our separate lives. But that wasn't God's plan, was it? God's plan was for Mary to actually, or for Joseph to actually wed Mary and be the earthly father of Jesus. What we see here in Joseph is his trusting and obeying God's word. So God, God spoke to Ahaz, and he disobeyed. God speaks to Joseph, and he obeys and trusts the word of the Lord. And although this was very likely as shocking to Joseph as it would have been to us, God was ultimately calling Joseph to trust in His Word and act in accordance with it. And he does. He accepts God's Word. He trusts God's Word. He relies upon God's Word. And then he reorients his life to conform his life to God's Word. Take Mary to be your wife, although she will bear a son who is not your own. We may not be staring down a future with a pregnant fiance, but many of us, if we're honest about our situations, live in circumstances that are less than favorable at times, don't we? We're not quite sure if our jobs are going to be exactly what we thought they were going to be. We, we worry about how suitable life will be if we continue making the decisions that we are making to impress our bosses and our co-workers. Even those that, who lack an appreciation for our willingness to do what God has called us to do and work unto Him for His glory, not our own. Many of you have circumstances of friends and family and neighbors who don't believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And we struggle with the burden to share the Gospel thinking that if we speak the words of God to people, that we'll lose all relational equity that we have with those who we think are most dear to us. We worry about what they will think. We weigh their opinions against our responsibility. And ultimately, we fall prey to the fear of man rather than fearing the Lord and resting in His good commandments, His wisdom, and His way of living in this world. Many of us even find today that it's easy to be tempted and give in to besetting sins, believing that we are all alone in this world. We give in to the lust of our flesh. We add one more thing to our 
online shopping cart. But we click one more image thinking that these things will fulfill us. And some of us struggle to find rest in the pursuit of portraying ourselves or a perfect image of ourselves on social media showing everybody that we really have life all together. Yet inside, we know, we know deep inside of us we are hurting, lonely, weak, stressed out, and hopeless at times. And I would venture to say that many of you really know what God is actually calling you to do. You're like, you're, you, you, you act like Joseph sometimes. I don't, I don't know what to do. So you think about it. You pray about it. You meditate on it. But God is saying to you just like He said to Joseph and He has said to every one of His followers at all times, trust and obey My Word. Trust and obey. Yes, your situation may be different from Joseph's, but it all boils down to the same response. Have you gone to God in prayer? Have you spent time in His Word? Have you been sensitive to the work of the Spirit in your life? Then obey His Word, friend. That's what you're called to do. That's what your responsibility is. Obey the Word of God. That's what Joseph did in the midst of his difficult circumstances. And I can say with a 100% certainty, there's very few things you can say that with though, but I can say with 100% certainty that there has never been a time that it was okay to disobey God's clear teaching for your life. There's never been a time where it's been okay for you to disobey God's clear teaching for your life. There's no argument you can make before the throne of God that will hold up when God says, did you obey my word? Now, some of you may be sitting there and thinking, like, really trust him at all of it? Like the whole thing? Like, I, I, I can... I can take this and live my life by it. You're thinking, that's crazy, Thomas. I don't, I don't know if I can do that. Well, friend, if that's your question today, I want to ask you to think with me for a minute. What's going on in your life to keep you from trusting this Word that God has given to us and preserved for us and passed down to us? What's caused you to be so cynical, so stubborn, so angry, so bitter, so jealous to call the people of God crazy for following His Word? God's people follow God's Word. It's that simple. It really is. He made us. He knows us. He knows our every need. He, he does all that He does for our good. He has never given anyone any reason to doubt His faithfulness and longing for humanity's flourishing. You, you have no evidence against God to dethrone Him from being the God of the universe able to speak into your life and command you how to live. If you think you've accomplished that in your life, you're setting yourself up as God. And the world doesn't work that way. I will not bow at your feet. No one else will bow at your feet. We will all bow at the feet of King Jesus. You can trust His Word. He has said that He will be with His people. He is with us. And you can cry out to Him for comfort, for peace, for salvation. Because He freely offers it to those who would trust His Word. Those who would live by His ways. We could let our circumstances define us and control us. 
You know, Joseph could have said easily, God, I, I'm, I'm tapping out. The, the, the woman that I was supposed to marry, like she's pregnant, I'm done. It's like, that's not how this works. He could have let that define him and control him. But that is only true if God was absent from our lives because it would be the only thing that could define us, right? Of circumstances and where we are in life right now. But God is not absent. His absence or believing in His absence is simply believing in a lie. I know that many of you sitting here today may be in very difficult circumstances. Losing your battles with besetting sin. Living under the crushing weight of the fear of man. However, you are one, if you're one who has placed your hope and trust and life in Christ through repentance and faith, your circumstances do not define you. You are not alone in this world suffering the consequences of sin, hopeless in your flesh, winning all the battles. No, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are in Christ. You are hidden in Him. You have Christ with you. You have His promised Holy Spirit empowering you to live a life that God has called you to live. Jesus is God with you in the midst of your daily struggle and sin. He doesn't leave you or forsake you. There's nothing that can separate you from Him. Although you may make choices and you may decide to sin and rebel against God, Jesus and the Spirit never leave you. He's at your side. He calls you a co-heir with Him at the throne of God. And praise be unto God that Jesus is with us. Because if I was standing by myself before the throne of God, like I said, I would vaporize. I wouldn't last a second. Oh, how we need Jesus with us. He doesn't leave you to wallow in your sin and sorrow and struggle. Jesus Emmanuel, God with us, didn't come in this world to live and die and be resurrected from death so that you could be defined by your circumstances. No, He comes into this world so you can be defined by His standard of righteousness if you trust in Him. All of that struggle, all that sorrow, all that sin, all that circumstance that aims to define you, Jesus washes it away by the power of His blood and says, you are righteous because you've trusted in Me. You are righteous before the throne of God. Jesus came into this world to defeat the enemy of His people, namely sin and death, so that we could be co-heirs with Him he came to give Himself to you and to me so that death, nor life, nor angels, or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, no heights, no depths, no anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing has power over the presence of Jesus. Do you believe that and trust that today? Nothing has present power over His presence. Jesus Christ came to dwell with us so that we could say to one another, is not your God with you? Has He, has he not given you peace on every side? Now we can set our minds on greater things, heavenly things, godly things. Our hearts can seek after God and find Him. Praise be unto God for the presence of Jesus. Christ of Nazareth has made it possible for us to be content with Him and Him alone. Because He said, Jesus, God with us, fulfilling the promise of Emmanuel, says to His people, to His disciples, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And we can say confidently, this is my Lord and my Helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You want to live free out from under the burden of the fear of man and the fear of your consequences and your life situation defining you? Who's your Lord? You or Jesus? Your job or Jesus? Your bank account or Jesus? Who's Lord of your life? Your calendar? 
Trust in the Savior who has come to live for you and die for you and provide salvation and peace present with you all the time. He will be with us until the end of the age. And He gives us His Spirit. And He will bring us safely home to the Father. You, brothers and sisters in Christ, are not alone in the consequences of your disobedience. You're not alone in your circumstances. Will you actually trust God at His Word and His promise? Will you do the very unexpected thing by faithfully wading through your circumstances as God calls you to do? You will not be alone. The God of the universe the Creator and Sustainer of your life and all things, seen and unseen, will be with you, is with you. Just as He promised Israel, just as He promised Joseph, and just as He promises His New Testament church. O praise be unto Emmanuel, God with us today forevermore, May our Advent celebration be blessed because God is indeed with us. Let us pray. Oh God, we may be surprised by this season of Advent. We may be even surprised by the fact that You made a decision long ago to come and dwell with us. Be with Your people. Walk beside us in difficulty, and disobedience. Promising never to leave Your people or forsake them. Christ, I pray that in this season of Advent that Your presence would be near and dear to us. That we would feel it. That we would sense it in a way that we haven't And Christ, most of all, the way in which we enter most clearly into Your presence is through trusting in Your Son Jesus as a Lord and Savior and then also living by Your Word. God, I pray that our hearts are encouraged that You are with us today. You are present. Be honored and glorified by our lives live for You. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.